good to go. Um, Chris Lees, welcome to the Wolf Den. My pleasure. I've uh, been a long time follower. Good to be on. Excellent, excellent. That's great to hear. So we just had the Melbourne Cup um, a couple of weeks back and you had two runners in it. One didn't make it Cleveland, which was disappointing. And then on the day, Calipor was probably disappointing as well. But it's a huge achievement to get two runners in the Cup, let alone even getting one runner in the Cup. And I wanted to talk a bit about them because they're interesting horses. They're both lightly raced and I would assume have really bright futures I want to start with Calipore and how did he come to your stable? Um, he was purchased by Justin Bain, um, bloodstock agent, a good mate of mine and does a lot of lot of work for me and, and other trainers as well. He's based in Hong Kong and he sourced him in Europe um, and he syndicated most of the horse um, through various clients and he arrived in, in terrific order. Um, he won his first start and he just tapered off a little bit then he, he had, a, had a paddock accident and which enforced a long layoff. And, mm. But he's had a long year of racing. He raced really consistently throughout the year, um, winning the Archer Saturday before, which gained him a start in the Cup. And he, he had a tough run in the Cup, to be fair. He's probably a grade below that. But um, certainly a great thrill for the owners to, to purchase a horse and he, making it all, all the way through to racing in a Melbourne Cup. Mm. Do you think the, tri- the trip might have been slightly too far for him? Is that maybe part yeah, of it? Yeah, I'd suggest so. H- hard to assess when, when you're having a tough run. Um, from a, from an awkward draw, but I'd suggest he's probably um, uh, probably better around that mile and a half. Yeah, and he was outstanding in the Archer on the on Derby Day. He w- he was he got a great ride from Damien. Yeah, where he dictated in front, and it was great to have a winner with Damien on his last Spring Carnival. Yeah, and do you think that Damien got Archer home? Uh, sorry, got Calipore home in the Archer where other jockeys might not have. Was it a was it a, a well pitch ride race, from D. Oliver that when you see races now and you can see the times and he's going thirteen to the furlong. But a bit more than that um, along the back. You think, geez, they're going to have to be good to beat him from here. And they yeah. just left him alone. Whether, he, whether you know, letting Damien roll along like that um, was the right play, but it certainly paid off for us. Yeah, and you've had a, a long association with Ollie. He's bowing out um, and he's sort of widely considered one of the greatest of all time. Why do you think he is that? What about, you know, you're in a privileged position as a trainer, to see how he rides and how he can make a difference? What are some of the things that you keep going well, back I to him for? to judge greatness over time, you know, he's been at the top since he was 18 and yeah. he's now 51. Yeah. To think he's got that type of longevity at the highest level, um, whether it be wherever he rides, he's, he's highly sought after and he's maintained that consistency throughout. So he's got to be in the conversation among the greats. Yeah. Um, and what about Calipore for the autumn? Have you started planning... Uh, look, he had a really long year and the cup run took a bit out of him. So we're not going to put a, a specific target on him. We're just going to let him have a nice spell, bring him back through. He'll probably miss the early autumn in Sydney and then probably race on to Queensland like he did last year. Okay. Yeah, so that's, you think that's more his grade, some of the bigger? I think so. Um, yeah. he's, not, he's not great on really testing ground. So if we get that wet autumn like we can get in Sydney, he might be just better placed a little bit after that. Would you run him in any of the weight for age races up in the Queensland winter or is he more a handicap? Um, look, weight for age in Queensland, I think he could measure up because he's getting up a little bit in, in his um, his benchmark now. So they're just probably that grade below. So it's probably his right target. Yeah. So we move on to Cleveland. He was a red-hot chance in the cup. Slashing run in the Mooney Valley Gold Cup. Um, what, what happened? So you, you had to scratch him on yeah, the night before. Yeah, he spiked the temperature the day before, which was extremely disappointing. Um, we thought he'd go into the race and run really well. Yeah. Drew awkward, so... When you watch the race, you just wonder where he would have got in. But um, 
the way he came out of the Mooney Valley Cup, that was his best run since I've had him. Um, so he was going the right way, but you'll never know. Um, it was certainly disappointing, but look, that's horses, and the horse was fine within a couple of days, and he's having a well-deserved break. He's another one. We'll, we'll just see where, where we go with him. We'll, um, he's having a nice break, and then probably similar style of path. I'd say he'll just have a, a pretty light autumn and then have a proper go at next spring. And do you think that he – you still don't know whether he's up to Melbourne Cup grade, right? So he's different to Calipore. Yeah. He, you could still – I think he's – you know, he's a little bit younger. He's still got that little bit more upside of Phil. So we'll give him a proper chance at next year's spring mm-hmm. by having a pretty light autumn. Yeah. And he's an interesting horse. So he came out here with Joseph O'Brien. Joseph O'Brien's the son of Aidan O'Brien. Aidan O'Brien's probably the biggest and best trainer in the world. But Joseph O'Brien is a pretty incredible horse from himself at Very an incredibly so. young age. I was doing a bit of research. So – He's ridden 31 Group 1 winners as a jockey. Then he became a trainer and he's trained a lot of Group 1 winners over in Europe. But before the age of 30, he's trained two Melbourne Cup winners and a Cox Plate winner. I understand he's got a, a fair head start, but still, you've got still to make it happen. It. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a pretty impressive CV, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and so did you have much to do with him? Because uh, Look, I, I, he wasn't out here at the time. I had a bit to do with his staff and we got the work and feed patterns um, he didn't pull up that well from the Sydney Cup. He ran a slashing race in the Tancred. Mm-hmm. Then two weeks later he failed in the Sydney Cup. Had a few little issues post that. So we give him a little break and freshen up. So I got a little bit of feedback from them. But um, we worked him out along the way. And I, I thought he just kept improving throughout his preparation. And how did you get hold of him? Because So he's Nick and Lloyd Williams own, own him? Yes. Yeah, and uh, they, they have a syndicate of, of other owners that are involved in the horse. And um, I've known Nick for quite a while and... Um, had a horse for them 12 months ago called Hosier. Started favouring the initial first ever big dance. Yes. Uh, we won a couple of races with him. Um, and he said when the horse was coming out, there's a chance he might stay here post-Sydney Cup. And if so, we, we might, may leave him with you. So, yeah, unreal. Yeah. And Lloyd Williams is one of those owners he talked about. And he's basically dedicated his life to winning the Melbourne Cup. So when you've got a live chance in the Melbourne Cup, does he start to contact you and you have a bit of a chat with he's him? He's great to train for. Yeah. Um, look, he... he not really, to be fair. Um, I rang him a few times after each run, but um, no, we, I spoke to Nick probably more so. Yes. And um, but um, they've been really easy to train for. We worked out a, a plan all along, and Nelly got there. Nelly got to the race, but yeah, um, yeah it was cer- certainly a pleasure to train for him. They're, you know, they're so they're pretty hands of, off. They kind of stay out of it. Pretty, they stay out of it mostly. Yeah, no, they're terrific to train for. I must mm-hmm. say. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And I noticed with. Um, Cleveland that he's not gelded and I thought that was a little bit unusual I understand he's well bred but once well, you get up he, to those had he not won the Mooney Valley Cup he may be now we actually discussed that right. um leading into it but um uh he's a really nice horse he's no drama to handle um whether that'll come against him in time but um you wouldn't pick him as a stallion around the stables or in his mannerism so at this stage he's He's uh, staying a stallion. So the reason you haven't gelded him is because he does have some some future at start possibly? I don't know about that. I think you're fine with them staying types in Australia. They're really hard to place from a, yes. from a stallion perspective. I think Jamie Lovett was, was on here the other trip. day. And yeah. he's, he's won a Melbourne Cup. He's won at 2,000 metres. So yeah. they're, no, they're so it's, it's not an easy task. But um, uh, at this stage, he's staying a stallion. So you don't <laughs> just geld horses for the sake of it. If they're fine, you just leave them alone. Oh, look, there's... There's no set pattern, especially these, these horses that come from Europe. Sometimes it comes down to their body shape and their temperament. Sometimes they're better off to be gelded as soon mm-hmm. as they get here. Mm. Takes that thought out process out of it down the track. But, you know, when a horse is in form, you, you're a little bit loath to change too much. Yeah. 
So I'm going to call this podcast Fast Horses and Family because I think it's pretty apt about the Lees family in racing. And if we go right back to the 70s and your dad, so Max Lees is one of the more revered horsemen in the game, you know, from the 70s all the way through to the early 2000s. And probably the horse that put your family on the map was, well, not probably did, was Luskin Star. And so Luskin Star won the Golden Slipper in 1977. That's two years before I was born and probably you know, before a lot of people were born. And I think you were like six or six. seven, oh, six, six at the time. Yeah. Can you tell us why Luskin Stars considered the greatest two-year-old of all time? Well, it uh, might be biased, but, you know, I've, I know his record off by heart. He, he won his – the Breeders played his first start by – I think they put up 12 lengths. I think it was closer to 15. I think wow. that's all the numbers they had. Um, and he, they had two divisions that year, and I think he ran a second and a half quicker than the other division. Yeah. And he won a silver slipper, which was ran on Cox Plate Day back then. He come back and his first up run was in the Newcastle two-year-old race. And Newcastle, you remember back in them days, there was no Newcastle Knights. You didn't have much else in Newcastle. They had a record crowd and it poured rain and they all come out to see this Luskin star. Max wanted to scratch it on the day of the race. And the committee wouldn't let him and the stewards wouldn't let him scratch it. Wow. And it was a heavy track. So and why did he want to scratch it? Well, it was a bog oh, track. Bog first track, up, it, bog track, 1,200 metres. And... He was given uh, – John Way, the jockey, was given permission to not use the whip. Well, I don't even think he carried the whip. And a really smart mare called Mistress Anne, who ended up winning an Oakley Plate, really yeah. fast mare, she led and beat him about a half a length with Jay Way just looking after him. Mm. And then he won the, the Todman Slipper and then he won the Golden Slipper by six or seven lengths. Yeah. It's a pretty dominant win. 3.50 to go. Mistress Anna tackled quickly by Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles had raced to the lead, but here comes Luskin Star. Luskin Star, the Newcastle Colt, with the Blazing Saddles in one stride. Lloyd Boy starting to run on well, but Luskin Star shot clear. He's a super cold all right. He's making an absolute mess of them. Luskin Star careered away, and he's won the slipper by about five lengths. Before. Yeah, and then went on, won the triple next, crown. If you ever get to look at his other, his size... Win was good and then he won a, the Champagne Stakes and he led a smart horse of Tommy Smith called Ico. Mm-hmm. Went on to win a Dooman Cup. Mm. And he got within a – he got – eyeballed him on straightening. You thought he was in trouble and he straight away – in a twinkling of an eye put six lengths on him. Yeah. So he, he was brilliant. Straight past the 400 and Luskin Star the leader. Marso on the outside is making one heck of a race of it. And Bolzest about two lengths away starting to wind up. But now Wade let the champ go and Luskin Star left them standing. Can he run a mile? He run four miles, Luskin Star. Look at him go. Hands and heels this magnificent chestnut cult is careering away. And he wins the champagne stakes in a breeze by five or six lengths. Very close for second. Bol- and he even ran in a cox plate as a three-year-old, right? Yeah, he then went to Queensland. He didn't miss him. He won, yeah. he won the two group ones in Queensland, which was the size and now the, now the JJ Atkins. I think it was called the Marlborough back yeah. then. And then he come back at three. Um, he won the Cameron Handicap at Newcastle in a track record time that stood for about 15 years. And he won the Caulfield Guineas. And then uh, I think the deal was done to sell the horse to a who, consortium. Was it um, Sangster who Sangster was involved, yeah. yes. And they moved him to Bar. Yeah, but that was done before the – Cox Plate and Max was a bit iffy about running him. And he, How he did ran. you down handle the horse getting um, taken off him? Well, I was too young. So I, right. I think it'd be extremely disappointing yeah. you know, to have a horse like that. But we've all been through it and horses have come to Max. So that's just racing. So, yeah. But um, um, he led he, – he 
got running a bit in the Cox Plate. I think he led by four or five lengths and fell in a hole. Yeah. Then he come back and um, I think I think Bart tried to get him. It's funny being a stallion, but he still tried. They tried to get him to stay back in them days. Yeah. And then it was apparent he, he couldn't. I think he got beaten at Roseville Guineas. Then they freshened him up, and his last race start, he won the Galaxy. Yeah. And went to start. And did you go to? Were you at the Cox Plate? I was. I was at the it? Cox Plate. Just I can yeah. little things re- I can remember, and I can remember being Newcastle when he won the Cameron Handicap because it was a huge, huge day. But I, I can't. I've got to watch the videos to remember the races. Yeah. So if we if we push forward to um, 1988, and I think that's when you started working with your old man. Yep. I think you dropped out of school. Yep. You're 16, right? Yep. Um, and yeah, so school wasn't for you. I've done. Two weeks of year 11 and realised it wasn't for me. Yeah. So. And when I started working with your dad and so you began, you know, your apprenticeship as a horseman but I think also too you, you said you really loved to punt and you even considered becoming a bookie. I, yeah, total opposite to my father from that perspective. I, um, our next door neighbour was uh, a trainer called Ray Wallace who my father was apprenticed to. So it was Paul Perry back in the day and he was an old school trainer, more a um, punting stable trainer, a, a lovely man, a, mm. a really nice man and... I'd go to the races with him. Dad would be going to Sydney races and I'd go with Ray to Newcastle and Ray would put money on for, for a lot of the Sydney punters like Ray, Ray Hopkins mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and I'd be 14 or 15 and Ray, I'd have a wad of cash and he'd just say, run along say, odds to 500. Odds, and I'd just run along, odds to 500, odds, go back and pay him. And one day one bloke said, you're not old enough and you let me <laughs> on. And I could see Ray, he just flew for this bloke, two right. strips off him and he rate the tickets. That had never happened these no. days. And was he – did you back a lot of winners? Like, was oh, I can't remember. But I know he was very generous when they won. So, yeah, yeah it was, they were good days. Yeah. And sort of in, in a broad sense, you look back now at those 15 years you spent with your dad as, you know, sort of his apprentice slash foreman. Are there differences in the way that you train now and the way he trained or do you still train very much like he did? Well, that's how I learned to train. Uh, but I, I don't think you ever stop learning either. You know, I'm, I'm – I, I – you know, I think there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I love whenever I go away. I watch. I used to love going to Melbourne and watching what um, staying at Caulfield back in the day, and watching what Lee Friedman was doing, or Ross McDonald, or all the great trainers. I just try and be a sponge mm. wherever I could, mm. try and try and get as much information. Even now, you know, you want to know what the top trainers are doing because I don't think you ever stop learning. But everything falls back to how I was taught from my father. Mm. And so in 2003, Dad got sick really, really quickly and then passed away. I think it was like 12 days or something from yeah, diagnosis right. to, to dying. And had you had conversations with your dad before he was sick about some sort of a succession plan? No. Right. No, probably that's probably wasn't our style. Yeah. Uh, if anyone knows my father, it's not something we spoke about. But I was pretty much his right-hand man for a long period. Yeah. So I found it reasonably smooth. Maybe others didn't. Um, whether they thought I'd be able to handle it or not. But, you know, I didn't really get a time to, th- to think about yeah. it, just move on. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things you said is that in other interviews is that pretty much all the owners stuck solid, everyone stuck with you. And one of the most interesting situations around that was a few years after your dad died, you bought Samantha Miss for Ron Krogan. And Ron Krogan was a long-time client of your dad, is that correct? Yeah, he was. Um he had horses with um, uh, Mr. Inglis, John Inglis, mm-hmm. and they raced in partnership. And and then Ron wanted to just venture out on his own and, and just spend a little bit more money. He was he was desperate to buy a um, Redoubt's Choice filly, and yeah. he had his heart set on on one. And and luckily he bought the right one, yeah, the right right year. And so, I think back now to be thirty 
three or four, where, whatever age I was at the time, to be given an opportunity to train a, a $1.5 million yearling at the time. Yeah. When off, often they, don't, they didn't have the great success that um, their price tag often brought, but um, um, she, was, she was certainly one out of the box. And because Redoute's choice was at, its, at his peak then, mm. so he was $330,000 per service, and at that, the yearling sales that you picked up, Samantha Miss, you got Samantha Miss for $1.5 million, but there were seven other Redoute's choice yearlings that sold for more than that, so it gives you a sense of how hot he was. What? He actually missed out on one. Yeah. Uh, he was an underbidder on one. Do you one. know what one yeah, that ended up being? His name was Mozambique. It won a maiden at, won a maiden at um, Gosford and I remember Hugh Bowman wrote it. Yeah. And in his laconic way, he just walked past me and he said, I think we got the right one. <laughs> he just kept walking. I was just and do you remember what Mozambique went for? Uh, I don't. I don't. And so, so how does Ron Krogan come to you and say, did he, does he say, Chris, did you, did you find – Samantha Miss on your own? No, 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 no. Yeah. He had a big team of people looking. Right. I, I don't but take you knew, you, you knew you were going to get it. Yeah. yeah. And is that by far the most you've ever paid for a horse at the yearling sales? Uh, I think he backed it up next year and with one that was, wasn't much good. But um, I'd suggest it was a – yeah, I, I don't recall too much that um, have bought any more. Yeah. And so you get Samantha Miss and when did you know that she was – Really special. Yeah, she was special from day one. Yeah, it's funny how them really good horses show something straight away. She was um, she was during that EI period. Yeah. So we had her actually in the stable. Couldn't get her out, or she pretty much had a little spell in the stable and started again. And she won her first start. She actually thought she'd win easier. I said I got Hugh actually to come and ride her in a trial. I said you better come and ride this one for me. And Hugh was ascending then too, wasn't he? He was just starting. To, yeah. On his way to becoming one he of the was. leading jockeys yeah. in the country. Yeah. And he come and rode her in a trial at Gosford and. And he rode her in a first race start. She won. I thought she'd win a little easier. In hindsight, I was trying to push her a little bit at two. Uh-huh. Ronnie was desperate for me to get try and get her in the slipper. Sure. And she missed out, which may have been a blessing. She missed out because of injury or because no, she just didn't? Just didn't have enough prize money. Yeah. She then ran second to Sebring in the size and then beat him in the champagne stage. Yeah, and that was when you knew. And I think she was the horse that everyone wanted to follow into the Into the spring. spring. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the spring. So she completely dominated the Princess Series. Yep. Um, was a dollar fifty five, I think, in the flight stakes. The Group One at the end of that, those four races. That, yeah, is that about right. That yeah. was right. She the f- she won the first one. She came from last and just got there in the Silver Shadow. But from mm. there on, we were pretty confident if she didn't get beaten at twelve hundred, she wasn't going to get beaten mm. in the next three. Um, and and she, whether it was soft or dry, she was pretty dominant against that group of fillies. Stripper and Portillo. Maybe I let up the rise. Camilzi gives chase. And now Samantha misses being revved up on the outside. Uh, strippers coming from the back of Silence Portillo. Samantha Miss rushed up and hit the lead with 100 metres to go. She shot away. Portillo comes after on the outside. But Samantha Miss, she's too big. She's too strong and she's too good. Samantha Miss beat Portillo. Camilzi third. And then Sarah's choice and Glowland from Stripper. And then you went to the Cox Plate. Was that yeah. always the plan? Uh, whether you do it again with a three-year-old filly. I thought it was the right year and, and yeah. you've got to put things into perspective. Ronnie was um, – he was an older gentleman and um, he, he really wanted to go that path. Um, it was the right year. She ran really well. She ran super. Yeah. Uh, she ran third. Maldivian won the race. He dominated up in, up front. So it wasn't a classic year when you look at the race. She started favourite too. Yeah. Which is pretty unusual for a three-year-old filly to start Correct. favourite. Yeah, exactly. That's the opinion that everybody had of her. That's so. right. Um yeah. And look, it was a soft run race, so I certainly didn't take anything out of it. She ran in the, the Oaks um, 
12 days later and, and won yeah. similar ease to Absolutely it. shit in, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, she did. Yeah. Did you think she was a complete moral Yeah, she day? was unbeatable. Yeah? Yeah. Because yeah. you're short through, I think, $1.85 or something. Yeah. Just going back to Cox Plate, so Bossy rode her at 47 and a half yeah. kilos. Like, oh, no. what do you reckon Bossy would weigh now? Like, he'd have to be, oh, he, well, he's, have to be 70 he kilos or something. Oh, I don't know. He doesn't carry a lot, but geez, he done it tough that day. Did he? Yeah. yeah. I remember I wasn't at the Cox Plate. I had some mates there and they said they saw, when he was in the saddle enclosure, like, he was just so gaunt yeah. and just. Yeah, it's a tough gig. Like, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Did he think it affected his um, ride at all, being so, oh, so look, light? I think he, he does think that, but, you know, I, I, I think she had a chance. There's a few. Were, Critical of his right eye. I thought she had his chance. She mm. had a chance, but um, anyway, she wasn't good enough. And then, so she come back in the autumn. One run, boat attendant. Yeah, yeah, which um, it was that was really tough. You know, you, you learn to you get horses get injuries all the time. You know, you make a phone call once a week, unfortunately. But um, that was a that was a really tough one. She the best horse you've had? Yeah, yeah. She she had so much more to give. I feel. Yeah. So you, you, when they dominated three three our fillies, then they got to go into that next pool. You're never really sure, but I, I think she'd have measured up. Yeah. And do you think she would have gone on to be a weight for age? Star? Um. Who knows? I, I look at the next year. So you think come along. So yeah. she probably might not have beat him in a cox plate. Yeah. So you just got to work out where she'd have sat. But um, I think um, she had more to give. So let's move to more modern times and the, and the Chris Lee stable and the business around it. The yearling sales these days, how active are you? We're about to come into the yearling sales season now. Yeah, I, I try to be. I, I'm not a, a big player at the yearling sales. Um, very fortunate. I train for a, a number of syndication, um, Australian Bloodstock, my primary um, syndicators, and also Prime Thoroughbreds with Joe and Earl and, and a couple others that are, that are very, I'm very fortunate to receive horses from them. But um, I always try and buy five or six every year and syndicate amongst, amongst the stable clients. So. And where, what sale do you normally oh, do that from? Well, yes, all yeah. the sales. Yeah, you, you know, go You've got to spread you, spread it around and, and just try and source some value. Um, try and just stay in that 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 lower mar- middle market. What's that sort of? You know, 100 to 300 one, or something? One to th- yeah, yeah, it's probably at 1 to 250. That I think it's a really good market to shop in and it's just that little bit easier to, to syndicate. Are you preparing for the Magic Million sales at the moment? Yeah, looking You're forward to getting out there in the next uh, week or so to start looking around. So is that kind of how it works? Like you get the spring carnival out of the way, it's kind yeah, of just rolls around then, everything. It's and then it's a straight into like Magic seems Millions. To come around a lot quicker every yeah. year, I know that. Yeah. So you, you sort of made two pretty big decisions and in investments with your stable. I, I, I don't know, a few years back now, you bought, is it called Illalong Farm? Illalong Farm. Illalong yeah. Farm. Um, probably 10 years or so, probably a bit longer now. Yeah. Uh, 150 acres just out of Cessnock. Um, it was already set up, a water walker and treadmills and a half mile track. So it was well established and it's been a wonderful tool. Um, any of these tools, they don't make horses run faster, but if they can add longevity to a preparation so that you can maximise a horse's potential for the preparation and, and generate prize money. So yeah. if you can get an extra run or two by sending them out to a, to a farm to freshen up between runs, I think it's it's certainly paying its way. Yeah. And I think it's an expensive game to race horses, and yep. we, but we race for great prize money. So if you can just maximise that horse, not even at the top level, if they can just continue to win races and cover their costs, I think you're doing the right thing by the owners. So how do you feel about... The, the huge push that New South Wales and PVLs put into prize money and and stuff. Are you one of the beneficiaries of it? Is it made most your, definitely? Yeah, yeah I think anyone who's who's uh, who's directly in the industry has been a beneficiary, have been very beneficial from the prize money. I think it's probably at a stage now where we've got to get some infrastructure right. Uh-huh. You know, we've we've um, we've got Melbourne 
covered with prize money and things, but if they've got a little edge, it's that they've got some wonderful facilities down yes. there. So we've just got to keep up to date with our facilities. And I think that's they're all um, on the whiteboard ready to yeah. go. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next 12 months or so. I think um, you know, talk, we're going to get new stables at Newcastle. They're doing up Scone and um, they've purchased Cessnock. It's going to be turned into a training centre. So these are all things that are going to be really exciting over the next few years for New South Wales racing. Yeah, and the Gold Coast Stable, what was the idea yeah, behind that? Yeah, it works really well for us. Um, Mel and Mandy Eggleston, it's their property and they run it really well and um, the horses go up and back. It's pretty easy from Newcastle to the Gold Coast. It's an eight-hour float trip now overnight. So um, we have a high turnover. They come up and back and it just works really well. It's, you know, as we all know that Queensland form in certain areas can be just a little bit below mm. Sydney. Mm-hmm. So just try and take advantage of the right races. How much do you get up there? Um, I try and get... Uh, I think I was getting up there a lot more before COVID and I think since COVID, you know, with um, videos and different things. And as I said, the horses go up and back. Yeah. So I don't get there that regularly, but they do a wonderful job up there. So I'm very comfortable with how it's run. Yeah. And why why always Newcastle? Like why? I mean, I'm sure you've had many opportunities to train in different parts of the world. Why do you always keep coming back to Newcastle? Yeah. Um, I'm a bit of a creature of habit. You know, I'd, sometimes it crosses my mind. You know, over the years I've, I've had one or two opportunities to move, considered it for briefly. Um, as I said before, I think we've got a really good facility. I think Newcastle, we're getting closer. I, I drove to Kembley yesterday in three hours. I hadn't done it for three or four years. And I remember I took snippets to the Brambles Classic in the float. We used to go the day before. Yeah, right. <laughs> the stable the night wow. before to go to Kembla. Yeah. Now I drove there in three hours yesterday. So everything's become getting closer. So and I think... Yeah. I think in time, you know, I think you'll find a lot of city trainers will start to branch out to, to various areas as well. Yeah. Uh, the cost of living, staffing, cert- there's certain areas that I'm sure could have been beneficial had I moved years ago, but I'm, I'm content where we are now. What about the new Newcastle sporting culture? You're a big Knights fan? Yeah, or? huge. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm a league tragic. Um, so, you know, we're, we're starting to turn things around. I was very fortunate. I was um, a lot of mates during the golden era, so yes. to speak. So yeah. we've weathered the storm and now it's coming back and, around. But you're still passionate about the Knights? Like you Very watch much every so. game and Yeah, no, I've stuff. been a season ticket holder since day one and yeah. drag my boys along and make I make them go even during the hard times. But um, now starting to, to get our turn. Yeah, yeah, very good. And to finish off, so the, when I was sort of doing my research for this show, there's, um, there's a really nice story about when you had Samantha Miss in, in the Cox Players in the Sydney Morning Herald. And it talks about when your father died and the horse called Carry On Mate. So Carry On Mate was the last horse registered under your dad's name. Mm. And and it, I think it won like a week or so after he passed away. The day after. Was it the yeah, day after? Yeah, so they, they left the horse in Max's name. Um, it didn't dawn on me even at the time. So I, I actually – I didn't go to the races, understandably. And about half a dozen of my mates grabbed me, went to the pub and we watched his last ever runner. Yeah. And it was called Carry On Mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Alan Robinson wrote it. Watch the race. You got a pretty soft lead too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wondering if the boys were just, just looking after him. I don't know. I'm not saying that, but he got a good lead, and um, he was pretty hard to run down from there on. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. And so the story insinuated that maybe one day you'll say to your kids, "Time for you to carry on, mate." Maybe. Yeah. Um, my, my oldest boy Marshall started working for me now. It's not long um, started, and. Um, Got a daughter who's involved in the business, and my wife Christy. She, 
helps out. So, and I've got a youngest son, Manny, who's still at school. But um, yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. And do you feel like you've still got a whole lot more to do? We had John O'Shea in here, and he said, "No, oh, I'll, I'll never stop training." Yeah, I'm only warming up. I yeah, yeah, unreal. I've, I've, um, yeah, I've got a lot of goals. Well, I don't know if you set goals in our game, but I, I don't see myself um, slowing down any time soon. Anyway. Yeah, unreal. Thank you very much for coming in, mate. Yeah, my pleasure. All the best. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.